First time I was ever exposed to pornography, I was in the fifth grade. I was over at a friend's house. There was a bunch of us gathered together. We were having a sleepover uh, after a birthday party. His parents had gone to sleep and we were all hanging out in the living room and um, one of the guys pulls out a VHS tape and says, I got something I think we all should see. I remember very vividly that moment. I remember the mixture of emotions I felt. I remember one thinking, huh, that's what that's for. You can laugh today, it's a little okay, so. <laughs> I remember the emotion of feeling like what I'm seeing, feeling excited and intrigued and interested and wanting to know more and wanting to see it and can't take my eyes away from it, but at the same moment, in the very same instant, feeling this emotion of shame and guilt. It's funny, being an 11-year-old kid who had no faith background, who had no relationship with Jesus, who knew nothing about scripture, right, and had no concept of God, even then as an 11-year-old kid as I was watching this, I remember feeling that something inside me, deeply inside me, somehow I knew this was wrong. And I would say that in that moment, this fifth grade, 11-year-old boy full of excitement and emotions and shame and guilt and fear and the whole gamut of everything that was happening, I would say in that moment, immediately a war, a battle began in my heart and in my mind that continues still to this day as a 40-year-old man. I'd be willing to bet, I'd be almost positive that whether Man or woman, if you are here today, you would probably remember the first experience you had with pornography. You would remember the, the emotions that you felt. You would, whether it was, regardless, of, you know, depending on your age, the, the mode or the medium could be different. It could have been a magazine. It could have been on your phone. And, but regardless of all of those things, you probably remember the experience and the moment. And I would be willing to bet that still to this day, man or woman, there is a battle that is raging in your heart and in your mind. Welcome to the Mount. <laughs> we like to talk about real things here if you're new for us the first day. And so I do wanna say, if you're joining us here in Stafford, down in Fredericksburg or online, my name is Adam and I'm the lead pastor here and we are in the middle of a series that we have titled The Arena. And what we've been doing is for the last couple weeks is we've been taking a moment in the life of our church from maybe what might be one of our normal types of series. And we're taking this, this moment and talking specifically about the men and about manhood and masculinity. And we're doing this not because, and I want to say this, not because we believe that women are somehow less than or inferior to men in any way and men are superior, none of that. We, we're doing this because we believe that as a church, that the global, the capital C American church is in a moment of crisis when it comes to manhood in it. And we talked about this the first week. We said that being a man in the 21st century is a confusing thing. 
We walk around in a fog, in a haze, trying to figure out and discern what it means to be a man. We have the messages we see on TV and, and, and on the internet and the things we're told in culture and the things we read and we're always told to be the opposite or this or this or this and we're struggling back and forth trying to figure out. But we find ourselves at a moment in the American church where less and less men are attending each and every year and the church is becoming more and more feminized, if you might say that in a nice way. And what we see is men are left wondering, what am I missing? What is lacking? What is not complete? What is not right? Why does this feel inadequate in my life? And I think maybe it's because we have failed to cast this compelling, God-honoring, Christ-centered, get out of your seat, go and change the world for the kingdom of God, what it means to be a man who follows and loves Jesus. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at that. And if you were here with us over the last couple weeks, you'll remember that in the, the very beginning, we said that we believed that in the garden, when everything was perfect, when God made the heavens and the earth and the animals and the plants, he made man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he made them, scripture tells us, in his image. And what we believe is that man and woman both are made in the image of God. It's not that man is made in the image of God and woman is not, or woman is made in the image of God and man is not. No, they are both equally with worth and honor and dignity and value and significance in the kingdom of God. They both must be there to complete the picture of the image of God. But we said that and we also recognize that in Genesis chapter 2, we see that although God made them equal... He made them distinct in some roles and responsibilities, even in the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we see this. It says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden. Why? So that he could work it and keep it. And we said that those phrases, to work it and to keep it, mean two very specific things. First, we recognize that God gave Adam a garden. And the garden at this time was everything that existed in the life of Adam. There was nothing for him outside of the garden. It was the all-encompassing sphere of everything he was and is and could be. And so he was told, this is your garden, this is your domain, this is your place, and you have a role, a responsibility in it. You are to cultivate it. Scripture says the word work it. And it's this word that when used in the, the context of a garden talks about tilling the soil, cultivating, helping the plants and the animals and all the things flourish and thrive and grow and succeed. And we see this picture where God takes Adam, he takes man and places him in the garden and says everything that is now in your sphere, in your garden, you are to cultivate it to help it thrive and grow and flourish. And as men, we have a responsibility for the garden in our lives to cultivate, to make it flourish and thrive. The relationships we have, our spiritual life, the spiritual life of our family, the people we work for, the people we work under, our goal as men is to cultivate the hearts and minds of people around us. But he also said your job is to protect it. Your job is to guard it, to watch over it, to keep it, to make sure it doesn't come under attack. And we said as men, we have been given the task and the responsibility of protecting the things in our garden. Now, What's interesting is we said that because of the result of sin, those of you that are familiar with Genesis' story, the sin enters the world, but it doesn't negate the role and the responsibility that man has to guard and to cultivate and protect in the arenas of their life. 
And men, I'm just gonna say this from the very beginning, one of the most difficult, one of the most grueling, one of the most exhausting arenas where this command to cultivate and guard plays out in your life is when you are to cultivate a life of sexual integrity and to protect your heart and your mind. It's an arena we fight every day. Now, before we kind of dive into some of this, I wanna make sure we lay some proper framework or ground floor level. And so maybe you just need to hear this from the very beginning. Maybe you're kind of new to the whole church thing and you're just checking this out. And man, you picked a great Sunday to check this out, I'll tell you that right now. But you're just checking this out. So let me give you some good news right at the beginning. What we see in the garden from the very beginning is that sex is a good thing. So if you're here and you're like, great, the pastor's gonna tell us how bad sex is. and all. No, no, sex is a good thing. Like, in fact, sex is a very, very good thing. It is, it is so good in scripture that when God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he says, in the context that I have provided for you, this covenantal marriage relationship between a man and a woman, in that context, he says, sex is so good, and I'll paraphrase, this is the new Adam version right here. He says, your command, your responsibility is to have so much sex that you populate the entire earth. Like just rabbits, right? Like just populate everything. It's good. And not only that, fast forward a couple books in the Bible in the Old Testament and you find this book where there's this, this fiance and relationship, there's the couple that's engaged together and they're about to be married and they're you know, writing poems and they're in love and everything's great and they get to this chapter in that book and they have their, their wedding night and on their honeymoon night, the, the new husband tells his wife, he says, your stature, your figure is like a palm tree and your breasts are like fruits at the top. And then he says to her, and I quote, he says, I can't wait to climb the palm tree and grab hold of the fruits. <laughs> Men, probably should start reading your Bible a little more, right? <laughs> like somebody tried to tell me scripture's not practical. Go home tonight and say that to your wife. Let me know how practical it is. <laughs> I'm just saying, we could stop here. Marriages are great. Just grab some palm tree branches, fruit stuff. Here's why I say this, right? Like sex is good, it's very good, it's celebrated in scripture in the context of a husband and wife. But here's why I say this. Because when we get to Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, I think for many of us, we think sin entered the world, therefore mankind became broken. Mankind became cursed. Mankind became sinful. But what we believe in our theology is that when sin entered the world, it was so all-encompassing that there was not a corner or crevice of creation that was not affected. Plants were affected. Animals, the environment, everything, our thought life, which also means sexuality was affected. And so here's this dilemma, and I'm going to talk to the men for just a moment here. Men, we were created by God with a deep desire and longing for sexual fulfillment. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, if you just look at research from a scientific standpoint, men's body is wired differently when it comes to sexual fulfillment and satisfaction and all of those types of things. And so on one hand, we are 
created to desire sex, to, to want this, to seek after it. It helps make sure that God's repopulating the earth and all these things. It's a natural, deep, deep within us, this desire. It brings us worth and significance and honor and respect and value. And we, those can swing too far, but at its core, those are great things that we find in an intimate relationship. But because there's this deep desire, this thing that is so deeply embedded within our core that we long for, it can also become our moment of greatest vulnerability and weakness because Satan and the devil has corrupted it in such a bad way. And I think we recognize this. We don't have to believe in Jesus to look back over thousands of years of history in the world and recognize that every single culture in history on some sort of spectrum or scale has twisted and distorted sex and sexuality. It's broken. And so as men... There's this desire for it, this this need, this want. But we live in a broken, fallen world. And it's twisted and distorted. And what happens is our deepest need and our deepest want can become our greatest weakness and our greatest vulnerability and our deepest shame and our biggest secret. powerful. It's significant. In fact, I would argue, men, there is no other arena in your life that you are fighting that has more potential to destroy your spiritual life than around sexual integrity. And you're like, whoa, like at home. That's kind of a bold statement, right? Like, why would you make that sort of statement? Let me just give you an example. There's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of David. Many of you are familiar with David's story. If you read scripture, David has, depending on the translation, close to a thousand verses written about him. Most people remember him for three. His sexual sin. There is no other arena in your life, men, that will define your spiritual life more than how you fight and battle sexual integrity. It matters. It's important. It's significant. I've never met a man in all my years of pastoring who has said, Adam, my goal is to be so involved in the digital world that I can't connect intimately with anyone in real life. Adam, my my goal is to be so full of shame and regret and guilt that I walk around feeling as if I am a nobody who is no good because of what I do when I'm alone on my phone or my computer or in the hotel room on a business trip. I've never met anyone that says, Adam, my goal, my dream is to be so emotionally disconnected because of my pornography usage that my wife and I are on the verge of divorce and infidelity because I can't connect with her. 
I've never met anyone that said, Adam, my dream, my goal is to become so involved in this sexual sin that I walk around feeling weak and lacking in every area of my spiritual life as a defeated, wounded enemy dog who will never make a difference for the kingdom of God for the rest of my life. I've never heard anyone say those things, but yet each and every day, hundreds if not thousands of us listening right now do that willingly over and over and over over again. It matters. I had the privilege just this month to sit down with some people who have been kind of battling pornography and sexual integrity for a long seasons of their life. I sat down with the guy and he, he told me, he said this, he said, Adam, I mean, he had all these things happen in his life because of this. And he said, Adam, perhaps the most disappointing thing is the realization that I am only the shell of a man. After so many years of God's purposes for my life, wasted and lost as I was trapped in this sin. Depending on the statistics you look at, and you guys are brilliant people, you can go do this online. Christian men, not, not anyone else, just people in the church, depending on the statistic, 65 to 80% view pornography monthly. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not saying like raging addicts who are like, I view it four times a day and I sneak off in the other room. Like that, that number is actually surprisingly high, especially you would think teenagers and young adults, but it's that 30 to 40 year old range right there. But what, what I'm talking about is people who are saying, man, my, my, I am committed to Jesus. I am following God. I am all in for him and I want my life to reflect him and his kingdom. And I may go a couple days, I may go a week, I may go a couple weeks, but then I, I slip and I make a mistake and I feel guilty and I feel ashamed about it. And so I, I confess it and I turn it over and maybe I go through a season of binging but then I, I come back out of it and I may go another couple weeks another couple days and I live this life month after month year after year after year after year feeling like I'm never going to get past this and I'm never going to get out of it and this is just the struggle that I have the thorn in my flesh that I will bear for the rest of my life ladies you're not off the hook either right according to the statistics you look at Christian women in the church anywhere from 30 to 55% monthly. It's an epidemic. It is an epidemic. It, what, what used to be these kind of hushed conversations, you know, you had to put your hoodie on and sneak into a, a bookstore or whatever and try to, try to find it or go to your grandpa's house and look under the mattress or whatever it was, you could get it. Now, you literally just have to open your phone and you might be checking your email and it pops out to you. You no longer have to search for it. It comes searching for you. It is the relentless beast that chases you down everywhere you go, whether you are at home on the couch in your office or on a business trip or across the country or overseas, it finds you everywhere you go. We have never at any point in history had pornography more readily accessible, instantly on demand, an infinite supply right at our fingertips. It's an epidemic. Let me ask you, when was the last time you viewed pornography? Not if. How long has it been? 
Glad you came to church today, right? How long has it been? It's everywhere. And I'm not asking that, and I know you might be like, some of you guys are like, you're just service people, and you're big, and have been me, and you're just like thinking right now, like, I can't wait to see him after church, and I'm going to punch him because he's all up in my business. Listen, I'm not trying to get up in your business. I'm not trying to make you angry. I'm not trying to give you any shame or any guilt. I'm asking this question because I believe with everything in me that victory only comes through honesty. You will not have victory unless you are honest. And here's the truth. Let's dive in a little bit. Whether you know this or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, there is a, if you are a human being, there is an enemy who is after you. You are God's prized creation. You are the jewel, the crown of all of his creation. Everything was good, but mankind was great, and it was perfect, and it was great. And then Satan, the enemy, his, his purpose, his goal, his mission is to, it says in Scripture, to steal, to kill, and destroy God's prized creation, to take them away from God. Not just so he can punish them in eternity forever. That's kind of the secondary goal. His main purpose is to make them ineffective and inequipped and on the sidelines of the fight that happens on this earth because if he can sideline you, you can't affect other people. And so his goal is to attack you and to go against you and he does this in scripture by using lies. In fact, in John chapter eight, verse 44, when talking about Satan, it says it this way. It says that you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And then he describes Satan. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to what? The truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And listen, if Satan's native language, if the way he attacks God's people is through lies and lies and lies, that means on the flip side, the way we get victory over him, the way we overcome him is through truth and honesty. Victory comes when you are honest with yourself and with others. So here is a question for you. What are the lies that you are buying into? What are the lies that you are believing Maybe for you, kind of the, the bottom shelf, the first lie that you would immediately think of right now is you would say, Adam, like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's really not. Like, it's, it's just, I have it under control. It's just every now and then. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not looking at weird stuff. It's just normal, like, right, vanilla stuff. Everything's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Adam, my, my, my wife even knows. Like, she's fine with it. She's okay with it. It's not that big of a deal. She doesn't seem to care. In fact, you know what? Sometimes we watch it together because it spices things up. It's not that big of a deal. It's okay, Adam. It's really not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. You guys are smart people. Like some of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. Just go do the research. Just go on the internet. And just, just Google the research, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find, and I'm not going to give you all the statistics. I'll just breeze through this. You're going to find that when you view pornography, it is such a big deal that when you view it, the neural pathways in your brain actually change. Just, the, the wiring of your brain changes when you look at pornography. It is such a big deal. That when you look at pornography, the chemical dopamine that your body produces in your brain is at a higher level than a heroin addict who's coming off of a quick fix. 
It is such a big deal that if you look at the statistic after statistic about infidelity, about divorce, about all the different things that happen within the context of marriage, even when the couples watch it together, it is a very big deal. And you can go and look at statistic after statistic and all these things, and you guys are really, really smart, but I want you to realize that the lie that maybe you're believing is it's not a big deal, but the truth and the honesty is that it's a very big deal. In all of my years of researching it, I have never once, and you can fact check me, I've never once found a single peer-reviewed article, academic article, not just some guy's blog who's trying to sell you something, but like a peer-reviewed academic article that says, here are the benefits, here are the goods to pornography viewership. Because if that existed, I would bet you money that the pornography industry would spend billions and billions of dollars a year to get you to read it. But instead, they spend all their money trying to get you to look at their stuff and not read the real truth that's out there. It is a big deal. Maybe the lie that you're believing is you saying, man, I'm all alone. Just, you're not alone. Men, you are not alone. There is not a man in this room who is alone in this fight. You are not alone. Maybe the lie is this is just hopeless. I can't ever overcome it. I've tried. I just, I just keep messing up and making mistakes over and over and over again. It's hopeless. There's no end. I just, I just need to give up. It's not hopeless. Maybe the lie is that if she knows, she won't love you. You can't tell her. She'll reject you. Maybe the lie is that you can't live without this. It's biological. You need it. You have to have it. Maybe the lie is to the ladies, if that's something he wants, I need to go and learn how to do it, so I need the research. No. Maybe the lie is, well, one day when you're married, you won't have to worry about this, so it's okay right now. No. Maybe for you, maybe, and I don't want to assume anyone in the room, right? Maybe we are the most spiritual church that has ever existed in all the universe, and none of us are having any issues with this. And so what I don't want is assume, and maybe we are the 15% or the 20% of people who don't struggle with this ever, and we are standing in victory. Maybe the lie, you're not exempt from this, but maybe the lie for you is, oh, that's not a big deal. I will never have to worry about that. It's not one of my struggles. It'll never happen. I mean, let me just say this. If that's you, right, like you have the people who will humbly admit their issue and then the pharisaical people, not to offend anyone, the pharisaical people who would say, I will never have an issue with it. I don't have to worry about it. It's never going to be me. If you're one of those people, let me just very clearly say, you are always capable of falling. You are always capable of falling. First Corinthians 10 says it this way, verse 12. It says, if you think you are strong, be careful not to fall. And what I want you to hear is, no matter if the lie is attacking your identity, if it's attacking your strategy, whatever it's attacking, it is a lie, and you need to identify it and help create a trigger that won't cause that to happen anymore. And you're like, what do you mean by that, Adam? Let me just give you a little insight into my personal life. Uh, for me, uh, I haven't really struggled with this for a while. But one of the things I have is I have different devices, just like all of you. You know, I have my iPad, I have my laptop, I have my, my phone, my, my iPhone, all those things. Like, it has to be like, those of you that have Google phones, like, we hate you for text messaging. So, like, just get rid of that and get an iPhone. But, like, I have an iPhone, right? And so, like, here, 
And so like, here's, let me just give you an insight and I can talk with you all about all these things. I'll just give you one example. At home, I have a, an internet router, the thing that connects the internet to the outside world and it goes through bounces on signals and stuff like that. And so what I did is when I got this router, I went and used this company called OpenDNS and they're like an internet filtering company. And I made my router, I created a new email address through Apple, one of their fake ones that forwards to something. Then I also created a new email address. I logged into the router, had Apple store the password. I had no idea what it was. I pointed the router to this open DNS to filter things. Then I went in, deleted the email address, and deleted the password from my saved passwords. So now if you were to come over to my house, my filtering system is set up to where, I don't know, you might search for a curtain keyword and be like, I really want to buy a swimsuit. And it might say, we're sorry, that website is blocked. And you're like, Adam, I'm just trying to buy a swimsuit. We're going to the lake. Can you please help me out here? Honestly, I can't. I can't log into my router. For me to have you access, I have to buy a brand new router and set it all back up. You're like, Adam, like, are you really that weak and vulnerable? No, but I might be. You are always capable of falling. What's the lie that you're believing? You're not good enough. You'll never get past it. Oh, you're way better than everyone else. Don't worry about this. The lie comes in many different fashions. Victory comes through honesty. Psalm 32, 5, King David, listen to this. Finally, I confessed all my sins. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. David he committed a sexual sin and he tried everything he could to cover it up and make mistakes. And I just make excuses. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. Oh, it's not that big a deal. But David gets to this point in Psalm 32, five where David just says, you know what? No more excuses. God, I'm sorry. He didn't say, well, it was just a weak moment. He didn't say, well, you know, like if my wife was having more sex with me, then maybe I wouldn't have to do this. He didn't make any excuse. He didn't say, well, I was on a business trip. I had a little too many drinks and I just got a little, lost my inhibitions. It won't happen again. He didn't make any excuses. No, he just owned up and said, as a man, I am sorry for what I have done, God. And he confessed his sins. And I love this, that scripture says in that moment, not later, in that moment, God forgave him of his guilt. Men, some of you are walking around with this sense of shame and baggage and guilt and weight because you think you are a failure in the fight in this arena, let me just say today, maybe you need to confess it to God and allow his guilt to be taken away from you. He is faithful and just to forgive. What do you need to confess? Now, here's the reality. I could very easily in there and you're like, in your little quiet chair where you're sitting right now, in the stillness of this moment, you can confess it to God and you'd probably do it again in a week, a month, six months, two days, five minutes, I don't know how long, right? Like, because here's what I know. It's very easy 
for dark things to grow in the dark. James 5, 16, I love this verse. It says, therefore confess to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen, we confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to each other for healing. Who do you need to confess to? Who do you need to tell? And right now, I just want you to feel the weight of this moment. Because there's probably a voice in your head. One is probably saying, man, it's been a great day to stay home. But the voice might also be saying, don't. Don't listen. He's not talking to you. Yours isn't as bad. It's not that big of a deal. Who do you need to tell? Are you men? Are you tired of covering and hiding your tracks? Are you tired of wondering who's going to get on the computer after you and see your search history? Are you tired? of the lack of intimacy you have with your wife because this is looming over you? Are you tired of living a life of spiritual defeat and being insignificant in the kingdom of God? Who do you need to tell? Victory comes through honesty. You are only as strong as you are honest. Who do you need to tell? I want to say just to the ladies for a minute. There could be a moment at some point where a man in your life that you love comes to you and confesses this. It could be a boyfriend, a husband, a son. In that moment, you are going to feel a range of emotions. You are going to feel anger. You're going to feel hurt. You're going to feel betrayed. If it's your son, you're going to feel, how did I raise such a pervert? Why did this happen? I don't understand what's going on. I'm a horrible mom, and this is just the end of the world. My little babies. The emotions are going to be all over the place for you, and I want you to know first, every one of those emotions is a valid emotion and you deserve and have the right to feel it. But, but I pray in that moment when you look across the table, when you look to the other couch or the other chair and to the eyes of the man who is confessing this to you, you don't see a disgusting person who betrayed you and hurt you you see a wounded warrior who loves you enough to tell you, I need help. I don't know where you are today. 
You may be in the middle of this intense fight and battle or you're multiple times a day and you feel addicted to it. Or you may be every now and then on accident when it pops up. Can I, can I just say, you are stronger than you think. Much of my story growing up in middle school and high school and early years of college was struggling consistently with this topic. And I remember just as a man who was not prepared for the world, it felt like I didn't know how to handle emotions. I was a, afraid of being alone. I was afraid of stress. I was afraid of burnout. I was afraid of boredom. And the list could go on and on. And I felt in those moments that instead of processing those emotions and talking to someone or reaching out or, or dealing with them, instead I would seek to avoid all kinds of intimacy in order to be a man. And so I knew that I could engage in pornography and digital sex without any worry of intimate connection with anyone for a long time. But here's what I also learned. Your battle with pornography is not physical, it's spiritual. I learned that the very things I was seeking on that screen or on that phone were the very things God wanted me to seek in him. And I learned that while it seemed like my appetite for pornography was so overwhelming and so great and so grand and it was just never going to be quenched and I always wanted more. I learned that over time by consistently, faithfully leaning into God, right, because the, the temptation in us is to be like Adam in the garden and to withdraw and be passive and say, this isn't for me, but we are men who step in, we engage, we cultivate, we work, we guard, we protect, and when we lean in, what we find is that the closer we move to God, the closer we move to Jesus, the more and more God doesn't take away our appetites. God, scripture never says that God's going to take away your appetite for sexual fulfillment. Instead, what we find is that the very things we are wanting to be fulfilled in, instead of taking them away, he puts him in their place and he becomes our fulfillment. He becomes our satisfaction. He becomes the thing we long for much more than some disconnected thing on a computer screen. Men, you are stronger than you think. You have more potential than you know. You have the ability and the power. You are an overcomer. Scripture says you are a mighty warrior. You have the lion of Judah living inside of you. You are strong and brave and wise. You are not a coward. You do not fear back in passivity. You lean in intentionally. You are active in cultivating a faith that pursues Jesus more and more each and every day. Men, you are stronger than you think. There's this passage in scripture, and I'm gonna close with this. It's this passage in scripture around Ephesians chapter six. Right, because I, I, I believe with everything in me that the, the battle for pornography is not physical, it's spiritual. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he tells them, he says, listen, when it comes to the spiritual battle that you are facing, and for us that's pornography in our context in this moment, he says, let me give you some advice. And the first thing he says in chapter 10 is this, he says, finally, be what? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Men, women, you are not weak. You are not fighting from a position of defeat. 
You are fighting from a position of victory. Why? Not because you are good. No, because you are broken and you are messed up, but because Jesus who lives in you is mighty. He is the guy who overcame the grave and lives in you and gives you power to defeat anything and everything that the enemy throws your way. And then Paul makes it really, really practical here. He says this, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes or his lies like we talked about. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not physical, but against the rulers, against the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He continues, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Paul says, listen, you are going to battle spiritually. Put on the armor of God. And he says, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me Let me just give you this practical piece here. Men, you are in a spiritual battle. And there is an enemy whose purpose is to lie, deceive, trick, and to attack you. And Paul says, you are strong because he who lives in you is strong. And he says, listen, put on the armor of God. And he says, he describes, he says, put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, it was this thing that Roman soldiers would tuck into their belt as a way to say, I'm getting ready for battle and I'm gonna make sure it holds things up. And what scripture is saying, they're saying, if you are surrounded by God's word, surrounded by truth, when the enemy's lies come at you, when you feel deceived and you are under attack and you're like, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? You immediately, scripture says to take every thought captive and you tuck it into the belt of truth. You take those thoughts captive and you tuck them into the word of God and you discern what does God say and what does the enemy say? And then you remember that you are covered with the breastplate of righteousness, not because you are good, not because you are strong, but because Christ imputes his holiness. He imputes his sanctification onto you and you are clothed with him. He says, then you put on your shoes of peace. And a Roman soldier's shoes had these spikes that went down and they would dig their feet into the ground. So if they got pushed back, they wouldn't move. They would stand their ground. They would dig their feet in. And so when the enemy attacks you and you are filtering all your thoughts through him and you know what scripture says, you are resisting, you are standing firm and you will not be pushed back. But then Paul says, but there will be moments when the enemy, because he's cunning and deceiving, you're alone, you're tired, It's been a drought with your wife and he lobs a flaming arrow at you. He says, pick up the shield. And this shield was protected, it was guarded. They would use him as a team. They would wrap him up together and it deflects the enemy's arrows. But there's gonna be moments, guys, where an arrow gets through and you find yourself dropping your shield and you're like, I feel defeated. Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. This isn't like 
Salvation in that moment, he's talking to people who already believe this is the hope of salvation. In other words, Paul is saying, when you find that you've dropped your shield and the enemy's attacking you and you don't think you can go on, you remember your salvation. You remember the fact that Jesus has overcome and what you are experiencing now is not the end, that you have the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords living in you and you put that helmet back on and you pick that shield up and you stand back up and you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight until one day you realize you've been fighting so hard that your desires have changed, your appetites have changed. Men, you are stronger than you think. Who are you gonna tell? And then fight and fight and fight. I told you I had a chance to sit down with some guys. One of the guys shared this with me and I'll close with this. We were in my office and through tears in his eyes, He asked me a question. He said, Adam, do you ever wonder what it was like to be Lazarus? And I was kind of shocked. I was like, what do you you mean? And he said, Adam, Lazarus was dead. And he heard the voice of Jesus say, wake up. And I was like, man, that's, that's profound. And we kind of talked about that. And then this guy looks at me and says, Adam, I have struggled with pornography almost my entire life. He said, I was Lazarus. I was dead. But Jesus woke me up. Men, you are stronger than you think. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that Jesus the overcomer lives in us. And we are thankful not only was he the sacrificial lamb, but he is the lion of Judah who roars in our hearts and fights the enemy and gives us strength to continue when we doubt and worry and say we are not good enough. As we continue praying in this moment, I'm not gonna do what I normally do and have you raise your hands. (laughs) I just wanna give you a moment to reflect how are you doing in this fight are you tired of hiding you were not here by accident today God divinely orchestrated for you to hear today who do you need to tell And do you need to keep fighting? As we continue praying, maybe you're here, regardless of what campus you're at, and you would say, man, I want victory like that. But you don't know Jesus. Because here's the thing, you could, you could put all the filters on your internet, you could have all the accountability partners, you could do anything you wanted, but without the living Son of God giving you strength and power, you will never overcome this fight, this battle, because it is not physical, it is spiritual. Maybe today, the thing that you need to do today to help you take this next step in your fight against pornography is to surrender and give your life to Jesus for the very first time. If that's you, just in this moment of boldness with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you wanna surrender to Jesus for the first time, would you just right where you are, whatever campus, slip up your hand, raise it high for us to see. If your hand is up, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner 
and I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my king. Be my Lord. I turn, I repent, and I run to you today. And everyone said, amen. Church, we're going to move into a time of worship at all of our campuses. Our prayer team's going to be up front. They would love to pray with you. And I know you're like, well, I don't know. I don't want to be the person that walks up and gets prayer for this. Listen, nobody's judging you. We even have private prayer areas. They would love to take you and just talk with you. We just want to know what is God doing in your heart and how can we come alongside you as a church and help you. Let's stand and let's sing.